we believe that uh, we can be a, known as a generous church here and generous people not only in Haiti but right here in Davis, right here in our neighborhoods, right here in our workplaces, our communities. We, we believe that, uh, that Christians should be the most generous people on earth. This morning I'd like to share how God has changed my own view of finances and my journey with generosity. Today I'm a church elder. I oversee the finance and stewardship team, but that's a far cry from where I was when I first came to Discovery. So this morning I wanted to talk about how God transforms our view of generosity through our faithful obedience. This morning we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand real high and one of our servers would be more than happy to bring you one. It's on page 836 in that Bible. I grew up on a, uh, on a pig farm in, uh, in southwest Michigan. And uh, I had four older, brother, or four older siblings, three brothers, one sister. My next oldest brother was Josh. He was four years older than me. When I was six years old, my dad came to... My dad came to him and I and said that I have a great opportunity for you. He said, if you will clean one hog barn every day, the entire thing, I will give you one dollar every single day. Now, my brother Josh, he, uh, he was a saver. He put all his money in a bag, and he put it in his dresser, and he wouldn't spend a dime. I had a uh, slightly different philosophy. Whenever I got money, I, I saved it just enough so I could get whatever the next thing was that I wanted, whether it was a new toy tractor or a... Uh, or some kind of food, or, or just a game. Josh was a saver. I was a spender. Now fast forward 18 years. I was 24 years old, recently graduated from college, attained a salary job with a company that offered me the opportunity to move from Minnesota to California. I was 2,000 miles from anyone that I knew, and I was ready to explore my new dig. I was 24 years old, but with the same finance philosophy as when I was six. <laughs> I wanted what I wanted. But this time, as a 24-year-old, there was one difference. This time, I had a credit card. <laughs> Having only been to LA and Fresno, there was a lot of California that I really wanted to see. So the first year and a half, I went places. I went down to Death Valley, I went up to Eureka in the northwest corner, I went to Alturas in the northeast corner, I went down to San Diego, Salinas, San Francisco. The only major place that I haven't been is Yosemite, and I still haven't been there, which is even a greater crime considering that one of my passions is landscape photography. <laughs> one of my other passions is golf, and being 6'7", I never had any clubs that really fit me. So I wanted to get new clubs clubs that, that would actually fit me once I didn't have to bend way down to use, because usually clubs are three, four inches too short for me. And since I got these new clubs, I wanted to use the range, so I went to the driving range four or five times a week. I was single at this time. <laughs> then I'd plot out different courses in Northern California that I wanted to go to, so I'd go to four or five different ones a month. I also really like technology, movies. And I'm an impulse buyer. Stores love me. <laughs> Amazon loves me. So whenever I go to Best Buy or Target, I always saw something that I wanted. And there was usually a sale of a movie that I wanted, so I'd get it. 
The problem was that I used a credit card for most of this. And uh, by the time I realized what was happening, I had accumulated about $13,000 in credit card debt. 13000 Now, it was at this point, I remember sitting on my couch at home and just kind of thinking to myself, man, I really screwed up. How in the world am I ever going to pay this off? And I just felt this weight upon my shoulders. It was guilt. Guilt of knowing that my parents raised me better than that. Guilt of knowing that I had $13,000 that I owed someone else, the bank. I can make the minimum payment, but really not much above that. I felt like a failure. I felt worthless. It was at this time in my life, I, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at this time. I'd been attending Discovery for two years at this time, attending a small group. And it was really during this time of feeling worthless, helpless, that the Holy Spirit really started to allow the scriptures to sink in, the gospel to sink in. And the scripture that really sunk in is actually our, our verse for this morning, and it's Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 10. You can find it on page 836. It should be up on the screen. I'd like to read it to you this morning. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For he is, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, created birth, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The immeasurable riches of his grace, not a result of works. When I was sitting on that couch, I, I mentioned that I felt like a failure, that I felt worthless. I felt helpless. But you know, that's the, that's the glorious thing about the gospel, is that beyond putting our faith in Christ, there is nothing that we have to do to be seen as righteous in God's eyes. Nothing that we have to do to be seen as righteous. When I was sitting on the couch, I felt worthless. But you know what God saw? God saw his child. God saw his child whom he loved, who he knew needed him, I felt worthless. God saw me as worthwhile. I needed him. I still need him. I was really messed up, and I'm still really messed up. 
For me, when I put my faith in Jesus, all my problems didn't go away. My debt didn't magically disappear. In fact, as I learned more and more scriptures, I realized my even greater need for him. The even greater need for Jesus to transform all areas of my heart, all areas of my life. I didn't stay in that place of feeling like a failure. Instead, the Holy Spirit used what I was learning in Scripture to change how I lived and what I cared about. I was saved by God's grace and his mercy, but he was leading me on a journey toward freedom and generosity. But it was only through me obeying him and putting my trust in God. But it was during this time that I was growing as a disciple that he taught me three principles. I'd like to share with you those this morning. The first one is that everything is God's. God owns it all, and he's given it to us as his steward. And our definition for, for biblical stewardship is the careful and responsible management of everything that God has entrusted to our care. The careful and responsible management of everything that God has entrusted to our care. God gave the first man and woman who he created the responsibility to steward his creation. He said in, to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created it all, but he, made, he gave mankind the responsibility care and oversee it. Psalm 24.1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell within. And it is our responsibility as God's good stewards to use everything that we have for his glory. As these scriptures started to, to sink in, I developed this kind of pit in my stomach. And it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing as the, the weight, the guilt that I felt upon my shoulders. The guilt was something that I had put there. But this pit was different. It was from the Holy Spirit. It was conviction. Conviction in knowing that the road that I was heading on was for my own glory. Everything that I was spending my money on, everything that I did with my time, was for me. But that conviction showed me also God's way. And me turning to him changed what I cared about. Made me want to put everything I had toward God and his glory. The conviction led to repentance, the turning of the way to God. And through that, God gave me a heart to give. The Holy Spirit gave me a heart to give. I wanted to give more to the church. I wanted to give more to missionaries who were taking the gospel around the world. But I couldn't give everything I wanted to give. I couldn't give everything I wanted to give because I was still tied to that debt. I wasted not only what God had already given me, but I tied what he was going to give me to that debt. 
To get personal, do you believe that God really owns everything that you have? Do you believe that God really owns everything that you have? And how does that change the way that you spend your money and think about the possessions that you have? The second principle that I was taught is about giving and tithing. This is one that I really struggled with up until a little bit after I became an elder. Specifically the idea of tithing. The tithe is a tenth, the tenth of everything that we have. And I know that for us, the tithe has a lot of mixed emotions. For some of us, it is an opportunity to worship God in joy with everything that we have. But for others, there's a lot of feelings of guilt and compulsion that accompany the word. And if you're in that place, I, I just really want to tell you how thankful I am that you're, you're still here listening. Because I was in that place. I know what it's like to, to, to question that. But tithing is actually an amazing thing that God uses to not only grow us, but to accomplish his will. And it is an opportunity for us to worship God and joy. Let me tell you about what I mean. In Leviticus, God did command the Israelites his people in the Old Testament, to tithe. He said, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. But this mention of the tithe in the law of Moses is not the first mention of the tithe in the Bible. One of the first mentions is in Genesis 28, at the end of the dream that God gave to Jacob, wherein he said that through Jacob the nations would be blessed, that his offspring would be blessed. And God proclaimed to Jacob that he would be his God, that he would provide for him, that he would give what he needed to live. And at the end of the dream, Jacob said, he made a vow, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and it will give me bread to eat, and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And of all that I give, of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is way before the law. This is 500 years before Moses takes this little trek up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. So why would he give a full tenth of everything that he was given? back to God. Why would he do that? He did it out of joy. Out of joy in realizing that God is his provider. That he promised to always be with him. We see here that tithing is not a matter of Old Testament law. But a principle of honor and gratitude. Not a matter of Old Testament law. There's a principle of honor and gratitude. As Christ followers, we don't give a minimum because we have to. We 
We give generously in view of the cross because we know and see how much God has been generous toward us. We don't say, how much do I have to give, God? We say, how much do I get to give? In Leviticus, the tithe became part of the law of Moses to remind people of God's provision. They saw God as the source of all life, all blessing, as the provider of the harvest. And the tithe came from the first fruits, meaning the very first thing that they were ever given, they gave to God. The first of their crops, the first of their livestock went directly to God. It was that reminder of God's provision. At the outset of the law, the tithe was not some guilt-inducing requirement, but rather a joyous reminder of the Lord's provision. Tithing is just that. It's a joyous reminder of God's provision. When I first started attending Discovery, I definitely was not thinking about giving God the first fruits of everything that I was given. I wouldn't even say that I, I gave out discovery. I meant to. But when the bags were about to be passed and they were talking about it, I'd reach my wallet, see what I had in there, and some weeks it'd be empty, some weeks there'd be five bucks, and I'd put it in there and say, oh, that'll work. I'll remember next week. Then I'd go home, spend my money on other stuff that I wanted and forget all about God. Come back the next week and same story. Except each time I felt a little more guilty because I didn't remember. But God redeemed that in me by practicing giving my first fruits. Whenever I got my paycheck, the first thing that went was to God. I was constantly reminded of God's provision in my life. Constantly reminded of God's provision. And God's people, they didn't stop at tithing. But when a vision was shared with them and their hearts were stirred toward it, they gave above and beyond the tithe. In Exodus, God told Moses to share a vision with the people to build a tabernacle in their village, a place where God would rest, a place where they could worship God. And so Moses went before all the people and said, listen, we need A, B, and C to build this tabernacle. We need some people to build it. Bring what you have. Their hearts were stirred toward that, and they gave generously. They gave so much that they actually gave too much, where the builders actually had to come back to Moses and say, Moses, Please tell the people to stop giving because we have way more than we will ever need to build this thing. So then Moses had to go before the people and say, look, you know how I told you to bring all this stuff to us before? Well, please stop. Please stop. We don't need any more. You did, you did profoundly well. Please stop. Isn't that crazy? They actually had to tell him to stop giving. And you know, I think I think some of us might think that we have to be rich in order to give. That we actually have to actually make money. 
But something in that narrative really struck me. And when the people brought forward what they had to offer, some people brought goat hair. Goat hair. Now to us, goat hair might seem pretty worthless. Especially in our culture in America, we'd see goat hair as not having a whole lot of value. But you know what God did with that goat hair? He made the curtain that went over the tabernacle that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where the very presence of God rested upon that place to separate it from the other village. God used goat hair to make those curtains. We can never discount what we have, church. Never discount what we have, whether it be finances, gifts, talents, whatever it is. We can never think that it is worthless to God. God cares. God will use everything that we have to offer. And he will do far and above anything that we could ever imagine with it. But we have to give it to him first. If we're not willing to give up what we have, we can't use it. So how do you currently remember God's provision in your own lives? If you tithe, what does it mean for you to grow in generosity? And if you don't tithe, why not? Consider how God might transform your life if you step forward and trust in him. The third principle that I really started to grasp during this time was that God not only cares about this 10% over here, but he still cares about this other 90% back here. And that whatever we spend our other 90% on is what we really care about. This is one that I have to remind myself of almost daily, even now. I told you that Amazon loves me. Well, I have, I also love their wish list. I've got like six of them. Separated out different categories, ministry books, things for the house. Matthew 26, or Matthew 6 says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I found that when I'm thinking of buying something, it, it starts out as a little seed. And the more that I think about it and when I actually purchase it, it grows into this huge tree of desire. And every branch and every leaf on this tree supports the very thing that I bought in the first place. Ever since leaving the farm, I always wanted a garden. But having lived in apartments, I couldn't up until my wife and I bought our first house last fall. It has a nice little backyard, and, and ever since we bought it, I started to think about where I could put my garden. And uh, I had to decide what type of garden. Would I do a ground-level garden, or would I do a raised bed garden? Once I decided that I wanted to do a raised bed garden, I'd have to think about what type of wood I would use. Would I use pine or cedar or redwood so it would last forever? Then after that, I had to decide what type of soil to use. 
what type of crops to even grow. Once I planted the crops and my dog decided that she wanted to hop into it and dig it up, I had to go to the store and buy fencing materials. So all this stuff I had to buy in order to support the very first thing that I wanted. I think Jesus really wants us to evaluate if what we're spending our money on is really returning the impact that he wants it to. Jesus calls us to lay our treasures in heaven, to put our investment toward things that are not going to rot in five years, are not going to just pass away when we die but rather to think about, is what I'm about to spend my money on going to have any kind of impact on God's kingdom? Or is it purely for mine? Do you guys see a correlation between what you spend your money on and what you care about? I really encourage you to take this opportunity to really think about how you spend your money, what, where you spend your money. For me, it was developing a budget and first allocating that 10% to God. After that, really trying to evaluate if what I'm about to buy has any impact on God's kingdom or if it's purely to build up mine. Another way is that you can just talk with your family and think about practical ways that you can do this, what this looks like. Talk with another person, talk with a church leader, talk with me. Believing in Jesus didn't mean that I could just sit back and not take responsibility for my finances. It didn't mean that I had to take steps to become a better steward of what I had. When I was paying down that debt, it took a lot of discipline. And it took a lot of trust in God. Because during that time, I was giving consistently. But I still always had enough. Always had enough to live. And God, as he always does, he came through and eliminated that debt. I now stand before you debt-free. But it was only through putting my faith in, in him and faithfully obeying his commandments. But now, those feelings that I experienced on that couch, the shame, the guilt, even the conviction, has been replaced by joy. Joy of giving to his local church, seeing it built up, joy of leading, joy of sponsoring a child in Haiti. The joy of using my hands and feet to serve those around me. The joy of giving everything that I have to God. Church, we're going to move into prayer here, but I, I want us all to, to take a moment to bow our heads and to close your eyes for a moment. And I want us to dream. I want you to picture in your heads a group of 300 people 
with the mindset that everything that they have is God's, and that it is their joy to give generously of all that God's provided to them as they remember his faithfulness and the grace that he's shown them through the death and resurrection of his son and gave generously through this. What kind of impact would they have on a city like Davis? What kind of impact would they have in the world? Let's pray. God, I... First, God, I just give you thanks and praise for, for the generosity that you have shown us through, through the cross. God, and I pray that you may just help us to understand even more how to be generous, God. How we can remember your provision in our lives, God. How we can remember that you still care about that other 90% that we have, God. God, please draw us into an even closer relationship with you. Help our hearts and minds to cling to you not to anything in this world, Lord. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to enter into a time of reflection. This is an opportunity for you to sit and, and do some work with God and, and listen to the Holy Spirit as...